Hey everyone, it's Zach. It's about 6.30 in the morning on Friday of C2E2. I've been driving for an hour. I have another three and a half hours to go uh, before I get to go and do a con for just the rest of the day. Starting to think C2E2 was a mistake. So we are here on the end of Friday of C2E2, and I am sitting in front of Matthew Rosenberg. Matt, how are you doing today? I took a drink, right? She asked me out. I'm good. So I'm paint good. everyone a picture. He is drinking chocolate milk, and we did walk by this booth earlier today, and that was the only thing sitting here. So we figured out it was his booth. That's correct. It was a weird case of something you think is just a joke no, being I, reality. I know. I drink a lot of chocolate milk. I mean, look, more power to you. So, Matthew, right now you are riding Uncanny X-Men. That's correct. Which some people have described as a big deal. Yes, some people have. People who read comics. People who don't read comics tend to not describe it as that. Well, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. So, you've got a weird team. Like, cards on the table. Yes. You don't have a traditional X-Men team. No. What, what made you want to use those sets of characters? Characters that are beloved by a certain segment of fans, but maybe not everyone's favorite um when we started writing uncanny uh it was me and kelly thompson ed brisson mm -hmm. uh we we knew we were building towards bringing back uh logan and scott and uh early on we talked about the idea of like well let's get everybody off the table because mm -hmm. otherwise there's too much emotional complication to really like you have to deal with the ramifications of how everybody deals with scott and how everyone deals with Logan and what it means for them and like what does it mean for X-23 and Gene and Kitty and, and like we're like let's get them out of here let's focus on those two and then they're bright shining stars that tend to eclipse people uh, sure. and so I was like well I want a big cast I want an ensemble cast and I want people to sort of who can be around their spotlight and not overshadow it but really be characters that we they can elevate right so uh yeah it's you know it's havoc and uh magic and uh it's a whole bunch of awesome x-men that are favorites of mine mm -hmm. uh and we're adding more all the time and absolutely taking a few away um, you can't scare people like that matthew you know uh, some people may quit they may retire i'm not saying i'm not saying that everyone is, is i mean dying. there's a grave on a cover there's a grave on a cover <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we put a grave on the cover of that issue because someone's going to die. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, one thing that I've heard a lot of uh, praise about the way you've approached Uncanny uh -huh. is that you've been taking work that you've done previously in stuff like New Mutants, Dead Souls, Astonishing X-Men, and even your Secret Warriors, and as of the issue that came out this last week, your Punisher run, and yeah. tying them into the larger narrative. Now, with comics not necessarily getting the same 17-year run that our friend Chris Claremont over there got. Yeah. 
how has that been your way of trying to continue to tell a long form story in smaller chunks? Yeah, or? exactly. I think. I mean, I'm. I grew up on Claremont. That is, I learned to read on Chris Claremont. Uh, it's, and yeah, he's a master at planting seeds. Like him, Peter David, like those guys are just legendary at sort of planting seeds and letting them grow for years. And that's just not the comic market right, right. now. And early on, like Marvel was very enthusiastic about me and excited. And I, I made it very clear that I wanted X-Men to be my home. And uh, I, I started sort of putting the idea of like not wrapping everything up in a bow. I mean, that's it, it's sort of a two-part thing because... Uh, there's a there's a sort of theory in comics that I don't ascribe to, but a lot of fans do that like, oftentimes a miniseries doesn't matter mm -hmm. per se, which I don't I don't love that term or expression because it's art and if you enjoyed it it mattered and if you didn't it doesn't. Um, but like I understand the complaint that like miniseries aren't going to change the status quo as a character, right. and I uh, I want to shake that idea up. So we were you, very you've big done on, that a little bit. Yeah, we were very big on like. Uh, on trying to shake up a miniseries at the end and make sure that people were real confused, uh, it got a little un it got a little heated for people as they thought I was just walking away from these ideas. You're like, wait, wait. X Men fans had strong opinions they were, on things. Uh, they were a little intense at times, but I understand <laughs> it. You know, like uh, people are very passionate about these characters. That's why we have these jobs. That's why we can do this. Is because people care about their comic characters and. It's why I have the job because right. I'm super passionate. So I don't fault anyone for getting worked up and heated, but definitely turning the New Mutants into warlocks or putting Havoc in prison or making Multiple Man a weird retiree who just wants to drink beer. Uh, those are ideas that uh, fans took issue with, but like we di we're doing this long form thing and it was sort of an experiment to try and simulate the Chris Claremont style X-Men right. era. But uh, it's a little more complicated because you can't just be like, and in a year, read Uncanny X-Men. So it's... Sure. Yeah. It's, but it was fun, though. And I think I think people who did stick with the stuff are, are have been very positive and saying that they enjoy how everything feels like a universe and is cumulative, which I like. Oh, good, good. So for fans who are reading your Uncanny right now, what can they expect moving forward? What do you want them to be excited about? Um... You know, I think uh, the thing that I'm really excited about, uh, I, you know, I talk to a lot of fans, I do a lot of cons, and I, I go to comic shops and meet people, and I occasionally look at Twitter, and uh, every once in a while, Kelly Thompson sends me uh, links from forums of things that people say about me. Oh, Matt. Uh, Matt. No, it's not me, it's Kelly. Kelly's big on that. Uh, she's going to get so mad at me that I said that. But <laughs> Ke Kelly likes to see what people are guessing is going to happen in books. She finds that very fun. Uh uh, and uh, the thing I'm really excited about is that, like, nobody, I haven't talked to anyone or seen anybody who has sort of figured out what's coming in Uncanny. Mm -hmm. There's, like, something coming, and we're not really talking about it. And, like, right. every month little pieces come out, and people aren't, like, haven't pieced it together, which I like, because I feel like we're taking, you know, people are like, oh, it, some of this feels like stuff I've seen before. And I'm like, yes, that's like that was the whole point that like disassembled is supposed to be very familiar right. and then we're slowly stripping that away and age of every x-men story is the same yeah every x-men story is the same until you get to the end and so that's what we're working towards is the end and uh yeah it's uh uh people are going to either really really like it or really really hate it and i think that's exciting i think like uh 
uh, it's fun to to make people care about something in any way. Right. I'm not trying to get people sad, but like sure. getting people like intense and yeah, worked up know. is 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 fun and and passionate about stuff. So awesome. And the, our last question for you today. Okay. Did you know Danny Moon stars in two books? Did you thought that through, Matthew? Uh, did, you, yeah. did you put the thought into that one? What's funny is that uh, Vita, who writes Prisoner X. Uh, me and Vita worked in a comic shop together for okay. years. Vita is one of my closest friends. Uh, me and Vita are writing a book together. Mm -hmm. uh, Zach and Lonnie, very good friends of mine for years. Uh, we talk all the time. Uh, besides editorial, like be being very hands-on and knowing things, uh, the assumption that we don't know what's going on in books, like, is is very very fun to me. That people are like, "Why did this happen? You guys messed up." And Vito was like, "I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. There are so many people assuming we made a mistake." And I was like, "Yeah." Uh, and there's another one of those coming. People, that's uh, beautiful. There's another. Uh, maybe this isn't exactly what you know, what you think coming. So uh, it might be. Um, Magneto related. So Okay then. Uh yeah, I think people are gonna be surprised at Danny's existence and other people's existence. Yes. We knew that. Yes. That's that's great to hear. Uh yeah, when we actually when we built uh if you want the inside baseball on how comics are made, when we made X-Men disassembled at the end of it, we had to figure out who was at the fight right. and who wasn't because at first we were like everyone at the fight disappears. Zach and Lonnie had mentioned like a spreadsheet of like 63-ish oh, people oh, at one point. There's 63 at the fight I think but we have like charts and spreadsheets of where other people were and there was like oh well this person's in Domino and this person's in the Shatterstar Mini and this person's here uh, but there was intense amounts of chess to be like Ed needs Cannonball for X-Force, and I need this person here. So there's a lot of, like, uh, the big one was getting multiple man off the table because he shows up at the fight. We right. needed him to be there, and then we needed him not to be there. What do you He just ran away? He runs away. gets yeah, on a boat and goes that, home. That's good. Good for uh, Jamie. Yeah, which is uh, was my solution, which everyone was like, huh, that worked, uh, which I was very pleased with. But, yeah, so there was a lot of, like, it's the most math I've ever done in a comic to be like, well, if we move this person here and, like, you know, Dazzler was going to be in Uncanny for a little bit. And I was like, well, I really want Dazzler to show up in the fight. Is there a way we can have Dazzler and then knock her out of the fight? And then we were like, no, it's stupid. She should just be in Age of X-Men. Uh, so there's a lot of that. Yeah. Awesome. Complicated stuff. Well, that's great. Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great con. We're here at C2E2 right on the con floor with Todd Knock. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm good, Zach. Thank you. Now, uh, you are probably in the X-Men sphere, most known for your run on Nightcrawler with Chris Claremont. Yes, yes. Now that's a book that, you know, from my experience, had a lot of influence, like an Alan Davis vibe or something like that. So how do, you, how do you approach taking a character as classic as Nightcrawler with the, with the guy who just, who made X-Men, yeah, more well, or less? I, I pretty much grew up on that. Oh yeah? Uh, Chris Claremont, X-Men and Excalibur issues, that, that's why I cut my teeth on as a kid. That was my introduction to the X-Men universe. Mm -hmm. So those were my favorite X-Men artists. Alan Davis is one of my big influences, Arthur Adams, Paul Smith, John Romita Jr. That, that, those, those sorts of Nightcrawlers, all the way back to Cockrum, mm -hmm. were the ones that inspired me. So uh, a, a lot of my influence was from 80s X-Men comics. <laughs> which I then 
crafted into my own personal style. So, so I'm honored that people would see that sort of flavor in my style because definitely that, that they're tapping into what I was a big fan of. Right. So I'm I'm just going to assume by the fact that people can't see it, you're wearing an X-Men t-shirt. Yes. Your sketchbook is probably about 40% X-Men, something at, like that? Uh, at least, yes, correct. Some, something you enjoy drawing, I'm taking. Absolutely, yes, yes. I'm a, a huge X-Men fan, so uh, when I'm not drawing, you know, stuff for, for work, I'm going to do some drawing for fun. Usually it ends up being an X-Man character. Now, speaking of drawing for fun, you have a pretty prevalent online following of doing live sketches and postcard sketches. Yeah. How did you get into developing that? Uh, you know, it, it um, just kind of all kind of just happened organically, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I started doing uh, uh, sketches on Post-it notes as yeah. like a warm-up. Right. Just need something quick to draw, just to kind of get warmed up for the day. So I grabbed a three inch by three inch stack of post-its and just drew a little Spider-Man on there, posted it online, and people dug it. Oh, so yeah. I just kept doing it, and now I've done well over 300 post-it note sketches, and, and many of them being uh, my YouTube uh, art videos. Right. So uh, it just quickly became a thing I was known for, these, these, uh, these post-it note sketches that, uh, again, go well with my either... YouTube uh, videos or li live streams, whether that's, it be YouTube or Instagram. That's awesome. Now, you just got off of uh, the Sleepwalker book for Infinity War. Yes. Wars, Warps. not Warps. Well, they did an Infinity Warps miniseries to go along with the whole Infinity Wars event. Jordan is a friend of the show. Yes. Great guy. Yeah. Man, you're confusing us, JDW. <laughs> you're killing us. Killing uh, us. Ah, but no, that's good. So, uh... You just got off that. Now, what do you uh, what do you got on your plate right now? Uh, let's see. Right now, the next, uh, aside from a handful of uh, variant covers I'm doing for Marvel, I'm uh, I just did an issue of a new mini series coming from the Cosmic Office, which is Jordan's office. Oh yeah. Uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history. It's a six issue mini series written by Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti, who I worked with on Spider Man Deadpool, mm -hmm. and uh, each issue is drawn by a different artist. Okay. Because Cosmic Ghost Rider is affecting the history of different Marvel characters each issue. All right. So issue one's already out now, drawn by Gerardo Sandoval. It's the Fantastic Four issue. Mm -hmm. I'm drawing issue two, which is out April 3rd. That is the Spider-Man issue. All right. Which then leads into issue three, drawn by someone else. I'm not sure who's drawing it, but that's the X-Men issue. Uh, which I wish I'd gotten to draw as well. I would have loved to have done that. Well, your Spider-Man is not exactly uh, Chump League. It's yeah. a... You've had oh, yeah, you've yeah. had a good good amount of uh, experience, mostly on the uh, kind of those. I'm trying to think of the right word for like the comicsology first, the digital first uh, products. Is there a difference when you approach something like that versus a uh, you know standard direct market comic? Yeah, yeah. With the this digital first, I did. Um, uh, well, it was like comic with the comicsology first mm -hmm. when I did the, my Spidey Schools Out series. Right. That was drawn strictly like a comic book page. Made it really easy. The stuff I did prior, like uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and Silk Spider-Fly effects oh, yeah. or the Deadpool 2 Soon miniseries, those were drawn as random panels. like cause the, the Infinite Comics. The Infinite Comics. Yes. Exactly. So those would fit into a screen depending on the uh, the kind of the slight animatic that they would right. do. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that about covers it. Todd, awesome. I hope you have an excellent con. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. We're here at C2E2 with writer Daniel Kibblesmith. Now, Daniel, you're uh, you know, best known for writing for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Correct. Uh, you just finished uh, Deadpool and Black Panther. That's you right. wrote a very enjoyable Lockjaw miniseries. Thank in the you last very much. Year. 
And uh, we were mentioning uh, off air that you had written uh, Valiant High, which was a high school AU for the Valiant Universe characters that was kind of inspired by like X-Men Evolution. Yeah, in some ways. They brought the pitch to me. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, were working on um, a high school AU for all of their characters. Uh, and I'm a fan of just that very concept. Uh, I loved the mostly the designs in the Avengers Academy game. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just so cute and clever. Uh, and X-Men Evolution was kind of my big one. That was the one that I saw every episode of. Really? You know, I never saw Smallville. Uh, uh, the, the sort of new CW shows are not uh, high school reimaginings in the same way. I was aware of, like, a Gotham High mm -hmm. hitch. I know it existed where the Joker was definitely a high school bully. Yes. And that's your... Did not get green lit. Which, yeah, I think it seems a little. Uh, the the stakes are unclear mm -hmm. when you put the Joker in a high school scenario, um, but I loved the idea, and it also comes so much from it's such a huge thing in fan arts. Right, absolutely. Uh, but uh, of all of those, X Men Evolution was the one that uh, I connected with the most, and um, I used it as one of my touchstones in terms of like figuring out everybody's personality, and then assigning them in. Uh, their new roles in, in high school archetypes. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that X-Men Evolution does really well is it figures out who is a student and who is a teacher. So like Hank McCoy, Aurora Monroe, Wolverine, obviously, those are those are grown-ups. I've seen, I've seen them try and do teen Wolverine before. Yeah. Not the best decision Marvel Comics as an institution has made. I don't know if I've read the one you're talking about. I saw the one where he's a little boy. I saw the one where he's a dandy little boy up in that, the Canadian see, that wilderness. See, one, that one's real. They did, a, they did a manga back in like 2010. They did two of them. One was a Wolverine manga. Yeah. And one was just an X-Men manga that Raina Telgemeier of all people wrote. Interesting. Yeah. She I will read that right now. That sounds uh, great. Hank McCoy, or not Hank McCoy, Colossus turns into a very large, uh, like, circular steam powered colossus man really yes she does not promote that she has other things well that... I'm, i regret to inform her that i'm going to buy that at this con because it sounds amazing it's it sure is something nothing nothing against her other work but i'm very excited to see her interpretation of the x-men i had no idea that that was out there yeah it's it's a wild was wolverine uh... called wolverine i wish he was it seems like a missed I opportunity wish. nah he was just he was just a teenage bad boy sure and that doesn't always work out well. No, he's an old man. He, I, I feel like he was born He's an old 40. man, Logan. <laughs> so, very much so. I, yes, I, I loved that very much. And then I liked uh, uh, the other big touchstone, even though um, uh, it was uh, I was doing the Valiant uh, characters in mm -hmm. a high school, my other big touchstone for that was uh, Marvel's 1602. Okay. Which I think also draws a tremendous job of just... Uh, recasting everybody in a role that uh, just fits. Absolutely. You know, I think when you're doing one of those, it, it's all about finding out where somebody clicks. So uh, I made Bloodshot the gym coach, and I gave him these little shorts. Uh, and we play a lot with his status, you know, as like, is he really scary or is he kind of silly? Uh, so we, we try to do a lot of stuff like that. Awesome, awesome. Now, what would you say is the biggest difference that you've experienced jumping between this solo writing comics versus kind of the you know, writer's room experience working on something like uh, your day job? Well, I think the turnaround is the biggest, most obvious difference. The turnaround in the subject matter, because I'm writing you know, topical satire right. almost exclusively about politics right now. Uh, it's, it's, there's a little bit going on in politics. Is there? <laughs> is there? A, 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 a tiny, tiny bit? I'm kind of on autopilot, so... <laughs> 
Uh, no, that's not true. Unfortunately, I'm very, very tuned in at all times. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, different in as far as the subject matter and how quickly you have to turn something around. But I'd say drilling down a little bit on what I mean by subject matter is that in uh, satire and comedy about news, you're really writing setup joke, setup joke, and there's a huge amount of storytelling in it. But it's the story of our culture right now, mm -hmm. and the protagonist is the audience, or the country, or um, the course of history. Okay. Like, that's the point of view that you're following, is what is happening and why, and has it happened before, and is anything about it funny? <laughs> and God willing, the answer is sometimes yes. <laughs> uh, so, the writing the comic books... While it is solo, it, you know, at work I'm in a writer's room and we write in uh, pairs and, and groups a lot. Mm -hmm. um, the comics are still very collaborative. Uh, and especially, um, I've gotten to do a lot of uh, comics that have a lot of comedy in them. Right. And the artists that I've been working with have a, such a good sense of um, storytelling, but also of like comedic timing and uh, character acting and stuff like that. So I, it's actually more similar than I realized it would be. Because it's when I'm writing a joke, the joke has to be landed by the artist. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, you know, the colorist and the letterer as well. Uh, so uh, it's very much a process of like writing a joke that you think someone will get because then they have to tell it to somebody else when they're translating it into, into art. I have never heard it described like that, but that is a fascinating perspective on how to write comedy in comics. Yeah, you have to tell you have to tell the joke to the artist first, and if they get it, um, they'll be able to tell it again. And at the end, you'll have the synthesis of both of you guys as, as storytellers, and you know, in this case, as comedians. That's great. That's great. Now, what do you got going or coming up in the near future? Anything um, uh, for people to look out for? Let's see. I have a story in uh, Marvel Comics Presents number four uh, that I'm very I excited that about. One. I, which one are you writing the? I'm writing Spider-Man. Spider I'm writing the spectacular, He's very amazing. Popular. I have heard I'm wearing Spider-Man socks. I okay. won't bother showing you because we're on a podcast. Right? No, uh, I'm wearing Wolverine socks in oh, case very the cool. podcast cares. Again, not a visual medium. Not especially. No. But uh, so I'm doing a story about Spider-Man going to the movies. Uh, I don't know how much I can reveal, but I know the solicit says it's during the uh, the birth of the blockbuster era. So if you want to do some math and figure out where and when that story might take place and what movie Spider-Man might be seeing. I've got some ideas. It might be something that, you know, a kid like Peter Parker would be excited about. That is... So I'm doing that story. That's going to come out in uh, May, I believe. Uh, and then um, I'm going to be doing uh, some, some shorts uh, that I don't know if I can announce yet. And then uh, hopefully more with Marvel that I, awesome. I'll be able to announce uh, in the coming months. Awesome. Awesome. And last question for you. How much approval from Marvel's legal team did you have to get to send Lockjaw and D-Man into the DC universe? I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know? I don't know what you're talking no, no, no. about. He goes to a universe. I don't believe we say what universe it is. People certainly couldn't see your air quotes on a podcast. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> so legally speaking, I have no idea what you're talking about. But if you read Lockjaw uh, out in trade paperback now, you will see an issue four. He goes to some parallel universes. And one of them might might strike readers as familiar. It just feels very traditional comic books, let's say that. It's very comic There's books. There's homages to comics. Mm -hmm. That's been great. Daniel, thank you so much for thank your you time. Thank you so appreciate much for having it. me. I really appreciate it. I want to paint everyone a sound picture. This is the elevator in our Airbnb. 
There's water coming from somewhere, and it smells like mildew. I'm terrified. We are here on the C2E2 floor with Age of X-Men, Apocalypse, and the X-Tracks writer, Tim Seeley. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of, you got a lot of words in your title. And I tell you, Tim, you are just hustling out here today. What are you, what are you drawing right now? I'm doing a uh, commission of uh, Arsenal from uh, DC. Well, he's not X-Men, so we don't care on this podcast. We don't podcast. care. Yeah, look at that guy. Ah, <laughs> oh, screw him. But no, it's good. So, Tim, you just got off uh, writing uh, Shatterstar. Yeah. What made you pitch a book like that? Because that's out of left field, as far as as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I know we've got we've got friends who love Shatterstar, uh, but he's not normally anyone's first pick for a book. So what yeah. what appealed no, to you for that? I found out the hard way about that. Yeah. No, uh, no. Uh, J- Jordan White emailed me and mm-hmm. said, um, "What would you do with Shatterstar?" Because they were planning to do something to go with Deadpool too. Right. And then I think they got. Uh, a little surprised when they saw the movie and like, oh god. Yeah, he uh, didn't last long. No. So I mean, I think it, it kind of started off with you know like maybe a misunderstanding or mis of the intent of the film, the right. version. So, well, I I liked the character as a kid. I remember I remember very distinctly seeing him the first time when he stabs the dude by stabbing himself, and I thought you know that was so visceral and, and it's and very good, cool, you know. Um, so I I came with the idea. Uh, one of my favorite villains when I was a kid was the, game, uh, the Grandmaster. Mm-hmm. And he had just been in Thor, so I was like, oh, maybe that'll help sell the book or whatever. So, um, that was kind of my take on was that the, the ultimate you know, gladiator would want to, would be in, of interest to the ultimate, you know, Grandmaster. Sure. Right? So, I thought that, that would be a great conflict. Awesome. And in the Age of X-Men world, you are dealing with the quote-unquote villain book? Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to say any black and white apocalypse has tended to not be good, he's been a little genocidal in the past. Yeah. Uh, sure. Now he's uh, he's running running a cult all about free love. Yeah. Well, basically because their world is so restrictive that there's like no attention, no no, no affection, mm-hmm. uh, or any kind of contact. Like it's not exactly free love, but it's like the you know the the they're the the love fighters, I guess. And in this yeah, in this world, uh, apocalypse is the one who's preaching. For human contact and and, uh, and that, that survival is sort of based around that idea. Right. Well, that's good. We're uh, we've been excited for the Age of X Man event. It's been something we have been trying to champion as much as possible because there's been a lot of great stuff. One of the interesting things I think about your book is the choice of characters that you've got going on in there. Yeah. I know we've talked to Jordan, we've talked to uh, Zach and Lonnie, we've talked to pretty much everyone involved in. They always speak of this mystical 63-character spreadsheet that got sent oh, yeah. around and saying, here's who you can use. Oh, so man, I didn't get that. You I didn't get the spreadsheet? It. No. No, I just got a thing that said, here's who we think would be the best in your in your series. Can you come up with a with a reason for them to be together? <laughs> like, and you okay. just rolled with it? Yeah. Okay. That's the job. Oh, um, that works. But I, mean, I, didn't, I honestly didn't. I mean, I knew who... Dazzler, obviously, I knew all his characters, but I didn't. And Kitty, and um, and uh, but I, I didn't even know who Eyeboy was when I started the book. I was like, what the hell's an Eyeboy? Right. But, um, he has several eyeballs. Yeah. It's just defining characteristics. But he ended up kind of being my favorite, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, we talked to uh, Christina Strain back when she was doing the Generation X book. Yeah. And that was her exact reaction too. She said, "I had no idea what to do with him. I just knew he was some weirdo." And she fell in love with him by the end of it. Yeah, he's great. No, that's good. So what what do you what are you most excited for fans to see with Age of X Man coming? Oh man. 
I mean, there's some crazy shit there. Yeah, you threw a, you threw Apocalypse in a Captain America outfit. Well, in Genesis in a Bucky outfit. Well, no, not exactly. I don't want to ruin anything. But you'll oh, see. and we don't we don't want it ruined. No, but it's weirder than that. <laughs> you but, know, that's pretty weird to begin yeah. with, Timothy. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, I'm really excited about that that part of the story. Um, the ending, I'm really really happy. Good. Uh, and, and kind of like the arc of Apocalypse in the story, I think it's not what anybody thinks. Uh, I I haven't known what to expect yet. Yeah, so I think it'll be, stay that way. So beyond uh, the rest of Age of X-Men, what else do you got going on here? Oh, man. I have the new book, Dark Red, that just came out this week. It's it's like a sellout, instant sellout. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a horror book. It's kind of a, vamp, a basically vampire in Trump land. It's kind of mm -hmm. the storyline. Uh, and I'm doing... Uh, some editing for Heavy Metal Magazine. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the Crow versus Hack Slash, my comic. Oh, yeah? Crow was taken out. And I'm doing Bloodshot for Valiant Comics. That is excellent. So, yeah, I'm going to be busy. Well, I we won't take you any more time than we already have, Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Uh, Zach, and if it's echoey, it's because the walls in this Airbnb are very tall. Uh, it is the end of day two of the Chicago Comics and Entertainment Expo. My feet hurt so bad. And I did get a neon bar sign today. I feel the need to explain. I didn't mean to get this neon bar sign. F Friday night, me and friend of the show, and possibly on this episode, Chris Edelman, got beer at a place. I was wearing my Bell's Brewery pullover. He said, do you want a Bell's beer sign? I said, yes. He then said, well, come back tomorrow. So I did. He gave me this random gentleman at the McCormick Place liquor store convenience store i don't know what it's called did give me a brooklyn brewery uh neon beer sign which is great except for i don't know who they are and i don't have their merch uh, so i've got that to deal with now also i got to meet chris claremont and he's my dad now and he's a very nice gentleman who did sign some Dark Phoenix Saga stuff for me. And I'm very curious how many issues of Uncanny 137 he had to sign that day. Because I think there were four in the line with me. But also, it's very good comics. I'm really tired. And my Uber Eats is not here yet. I'm getting ramen. We are in Chinatown. And the L is right out here. I'm starting to think C2E2 was a mistake. All right, so we are here in the C3Z1 loft, I think is what we have described it as. Uh, and I am with friend of the show and friend of the me, Charlie Davis. Charlie, how are you doing today? Um, I'm very tired, but um, extremely enthused and uh having a great time. You're having a great time, Charlie? <laughs> I am. I'm having a really good time. I hear you had a real fancy dinner. Yeah, that was a, it was like a once in a lifetime experience. You know, one could, it had a lot of those today. 
had a lot of those. <laughs> you have. So I wanted to talk about a situation that you and I encountered <laughs> at the, the Marvel C2E2 booth. We were looking at the prints of their, their young guns, who, let's be clear, I don't know their actual ages, but they aren't young guns to comics. They have been doing stuff for a while. Yeah. Regardless, we saw a very good Doctor Strange print by Avi Agaron. Yes. Uh, and you were commenting on something. What was that? So Javier Garon did the like on the fly, like um, secret. secret Secret Empire, Secret Warriors, Secret Warriors, X Men. Um, he did the like interesting like jumpsuit for Rick with the mustache and the like his name on his lapel and um, Shatterstar's kind of identical look. And, right, right. Yeah, so I really loved it. It was super gay. And it went away, which it, it's all right. But um, I just thought about how much better those things would have looked if he had been, like, drawing as he is now. And I was unaware of the fact that uh, Javier Garon, or at least unaware is probably the wrong word. I had forgotten that Javier Garon designed those. And I said, oh, dang, man, I love those big gay mustaches. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? And then... Because uh, I was talking loud. Let's be clear. Correct. I wasn't quiet. And then we were approached by a gentleman gentleman who gave me a fist bump did he give you a fist bump he did i was confused about the whole situation so i did miss the fist bump i heard him just say oh yeah me too yeah and i thought we were gonna talk about shatterstar yeah and i was like kind of i was getting ready you got pumped i got pumped um and then he hands us some um life-affirming texts about um hinduism (laughs) i i I was told that this would help me with my self-actualization and uh, balancing my chakras. Yeah, and yoga. Balancing your chakra with yo- chakras with yoga, I believe, was one of the titles of the books. Look, I could use some yoga. I'm not gonna lie, but I feel like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into yoga by reading about it. No. I'm gonna get into yoga by like taking a class. <laughs> this man was like, he was ready. Like he, he- was. Look, he was a he was. A, evangelical yes. about his beliefs like the people that are like approach you on a college campus when you're walking to class and they have like the little tracks and they're like hey you know would you like to join the my people religion? the people trying to get us to go to a k-pop show weren't anywhere near mm. as uh aggressive as, aggressive is the I, was word gonna I, say, I was gonna say good salesman <laughs> as him yeah um he gave us some text and attempted to give us another text. And while this he was happening... He attempted to give us the equivalent of the Bible, which I would have felt uncomfortable throwing away. <laughs> because we did... We recycled them. We recycled so the other texts. Not gonna... the Bible. We, we said, hey, man, it's fine. Uh, you keep that one for you. <laughs> you know, I think you'll have more fun with it than we will. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then we, we, went and saw, uh, we went and saw a creator... Uh, one teeny Howard, correct? Correct. Um, there was a lot of energy happening in that situation. It was a high energy, <laughs> high energy artist alley. Yeah. The entire weekend has been a high energy artist alley, alley TMTM. Yes, but this this was a little, this was special. I, uh, I, I think, I don't know how. I think I, oh, I mentioned that Nick Rob- Robles, who did... Uh, Nicky Robes. Yes. He does the he does those horny night crawlers, right? Correct. Man, everyone should do more horny night crawlers. I'm straight and I'm good for horny night crawlers. For, for days. Um, horny night crawlers for days. Yeah, they did uh Euthanauts together. And so I mentioned that I got a, a about a half, 
last year sometime, sometime it's a blur, um, I got a really awesome Richter and Shatterstar commission from Nick, and I mentioned it, and as soon as I mentioned that that was me, Teeny's face like lit up. She got animated. Yeah, and we had a discussion about Rick and Star, which pretty much was like, listen, listen. And I'm pretty sure I told I told her that I'd kill a man for her to you be able did, to write them. You did say, and I quote, I would kill a man. <laughs> and then Teeny said, I would kill a man just because. And uh, yeah, she was good. She said she'd do a lot of things to, and I'm quoting her here, get my gay little hands on them. Correct. Which, Correct. Teeny Howard is great, guys. <laughs> Teeny Howard's a lot of fun, and I want her to write an X Factory book. Yeah, no, it would it would be really great, and it seems like she's really trying to push in that direction. And she's got something as of right now, um, being announced tomorrow. She has something. We don't know if it's X related. It's been announced by the time this podcast goes up, so we might look look like fools. Something. Uh, but that that panel is behind a credit card. <laughs> like, it's not like hey, five bucks gets you into that panel. I'd do that for you guys because I'm a good journalist. <laughs> Uh, but no, you'd have to sign up for a Marvel credit card and I ain't about that life. I don't need that hard credit check. I'm living that Dave Ramsey's life. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. I don't live that Dave Ramsey's life. I'm bad with finances. Uh, as, as witnessed by the fact that I'm spending money on comic stuff. <laughs> you didn't spend that mu as much money as I have. I know. I'm, I'm being so frugal. <laughs> I did get that really good Russell Donovan print though. You did. You need. You know it. the one that got Russell Donovan a job? Russell Donovan, guy who might be on this podcast. Who knows? Yeah. Well, you guys do. I put up the list. It was exciting. It was a, it was a very exciting day. My day started off exciting, though. So, so. It's, been, it's been a good day, too, for you? It's been a very good day. I'm getting more art tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. Oh, can we talk about one last thing? Yes. Can we talk about what Erica Henderson did? Yes, we can. Um, I, I love to give loose instructions to people who are good artists because uh, that's how they work the most freely. And I have my, my sketchbook that's Shatterstar and Serial. That's okay. all. Okay, you say sketchbook, and it is a sketchbook, but I think that implies that it's like a well-filled uh, like out sketchbook. Correct. The first sketch in this sketchbook is, I don't even want to say friend of the show, co-host of the show, kind of the heart of the show, <laughs> Adam Rack. Yes. Very good, very, very good picture christening my, my sketchbook. And then it's one of your friends. Correct. Whose name is? Who, Del, my friend Del. Your friend Del. Yeah, she drew me a Shatterstar for my birthday. It's good art. It's very good. And then who's next? And then um, Erica Henderson. Squirrel uh, Girl artist. Correct. Assassination artist. Yes. Uh, drew me. Jughead artist. <laughs> Winding up here. Wait, drew shoot. What's the one? Uh, Subatomic Party Girls artist. <laughs> she drew me uh, Shatterstar in a bathtub full of milk and cereal. Guys, it's very good. <laughs> it's very good. I know I've said that C2E2 might have been a mistake several times on this podcast, but maybe it's good. <laughs> it was good for... it's No, not, not much can beat that. In fact, one Kyle Stark said... He couldn't follow up, follow it up. So. Kyle Starks is a coward. <laughs> he specifically said, "I'm afraid to follow this very good Erica Henderson painting, drawing, sketch, sketch, illustration, a, illustration." That's the right word. 
uh, and I would be afraid too. Uh, so, Charlie, I think that's all we have for you. Thank you so much for being here and uh, being my roommate okay. on this very exciting C2E2. Yay! Hello, and welcome back to the uh, C3C1 loft here in here in beautiful Chinatown, Chicago. I'm your host, Zach. You know me. I'm freaking I run this joint. <laughs> the podcast, not the loft, people. <laughs> And with me is friend of the show, Chris Edelman. Chris. Hi, Zach. How you doing today, man? You had a good day? Yeah, I had a pretty good day. Um, Just got done eating many, many courses. You also had fancy dinner tonight. I also had fancy dinner. I ate sashimi and rice. That's true. Uh, To be clear, people, this was my choice. That's true. He wasn't wasn't invited. I was invited. I did decline. (laughs) To have fancy dinner. It was at it was fancy restaurants. Fancy. <laughs> People were in dresses. Chris wore a button down, I believe. I did. I did. Which, uh, I guess today was a big button down day. Wore a short sleeve button down. See, long I'm doing short sleeve button downs two days mm-hmm. of this three day con. That's true. Today was the day I wasn't. So you outdressed me, which was a little upsetting. <laughs> I won't let it happen again. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That's the important thing here. All right. Well, uh, we, today was kind of a long day. We got there pretty early. We did after, after a very nice breakfast that you and your wife, Christy, made. We did. We made everybody biscuits and gravy. I said both of you. Christy did a lot of the work. Yes. I didn't do anything. <laughs> You did, did make, make the, the coffee, coffee. <laughs> one <laughs> cup at a time, but not with a Keurig, just with like a craft. Our uh, our Airbnb has a very small coffee pot, so I had to make three <laughs> pots of coffee just to fill all four of our cups. We got there though. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Um, it was uh, I, uh, it was really fun hanging out in Artist Alley. Um, yeah, that's just kind of where we've lived this con, it, isn't it? It is. I tried to desperately find a copy of Die Number One by um, Kieran Gill and, and Stephanie Hans so I could get Stephanie Hans to sign it. Uh, I could not find it. I don't think I'm going to. Did uh, you find Robert Kirkman's Die 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 and just wide out, <laughs> wide out two of the dies? I just put a big. Square root sign with a three under it. Just take the cube root of die, die, die. I'm just... It's very good. That's a thinker. I didn't know where you were going with that, and I have a degree that involved math. But I got there. I got there. <laughs> I got there after, after, after a hot second. So I, I, trying to find that, uh, we went back to Artist Alley. Stephanie Hans is theoretically working on a commission for me. We will see the... Uh, fruits. Yeah, we'll see the fruits of it later. Um, but you're also getting commissions from other yes. people. Yes. So I've decided to start a um, a sketchbook that is just entitled X Men BS, which I just sharpied on the front of it. And I'd like to thank you for respecting the podcast's not swearing rule because yep. you're not Tim Seeley, who's the <laughs> only swear I have to bleep out in this entire thing. Of <laughs> Mr. Editor of Heavy Metal Magazine. Man, why didn't I ask Tim Seeley more questions about Judas Priest? <laughs> Jeez, that's what I should have done. I wasted all that time talking about X-Men. Y'all, if this turns into a Judas Priest and Iron Maiden podcast, I'm not going to be that upset. <laughs> so, Chris, what's your favorite Judas Priest album? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one correct answer. The one with war pigs on it? That's 
Very Black Sabbath. Oh, that's right. So Charlie, Charlie's yelling in the background that there's only one correct answer to that, and I've got feelings. So I do want to hear, Charlie. What did you say the only good Judas Priest album is, or the only best? Judas Priest. Okay, well, I'm I, confused. I was thinking Iron Maiden. Hold on, hold on. What do you? Continue on. What do you think the best Iron Maiden album is? Number of the Beast. Number of the Beast is not the best Iron Maiden album. It has some of the best singles on it. It's not the best Iron Maiden album. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, the answer is Seventh Son of the Seventh Son. Run to the Hills is the best Iron Maiden song. I don't care. Run to the Hills is problematic in a way that doesn't ruin it, but <laughs> does have some stuff about it. Uh, there's some scalping talk in Run to the Hills. Oh, no. It's from the perspective that it's bad. Okay. <laughs> it is? Iron Maiden's not pro scalping. That's uh, good. <laughs> we've gotten wildly off track. So you were talking about a panel that we attended yesterday, uh, hosted by the AV Club's Oliver Saba. Yep, who we apparently should have said hi to. After we the should show. have said hi to. Um, we got real rowdy and cheered everybody because it had a bunch of our faves. Babs Tar was there, and Erica Henderson, and Annie Wu, Russell Dodderman. Kenneth Rockefeller. And Kenneth Rockefeller, yeah. Um, where they talked about costume design. And from the perspective of somebody who, I guess, I, I, I feel like I just kind of see the finished product and go, sweet. I don't really think about the ins and outs. It was a really sort of how the sausage is made right panel uh it was really cool uh we got some opinions. kenneth had some real opinions yeah can we talk about ken just uh drop in drop in some truth bombs about sexy lobo yeah how no, he did he did his... you all remember sexy lobo right from uh cullen bun's uh short-lived lobo run where lobo was hot actually yeah but the, he uh, he made a bunch of designs and said that DC used the worst one. <laughs> he I think he said four different revisions, and he showed us the first revision, and it looked closer to actual Lobo, who I don't care for. Fair. But he did had have a tuft of chest hair that was in the shape of a star, which is kind of very good superhero <laughs> stuff. It is pretty good. Now on that panel also was Erica Henderson, True. who I believe is related to the story that we started to tell in Neglected to Finish about your good X Men sketchbook. Right. So Erica Henderson probably currently has that as we speak because I just gave it to her overnight, and then she's going to hand it off to Kyle Stark. So she, I did not give her any specific design other than just X Men BS, and so she just did. Was, Kyle, did you give Kyle any specifics besides that? No, I didn't, but you, let me tell you who... He's like, well, what kind of character would you want? And I was like, oh, you can just start off with Cyclops. He's like, I'm not going to draw Cyclops. I hate Cyclops. Kyle Starks has some opinions on Cyclops, <laughs> which just... you may or may not hear on this podcast uh, because I haven't recorded it yet, but Kyle wants to talk and about then he's hating Cyclops. Just like Nightcrawler, no. Uh, we just kept naming x-men after x-men erica henderson just yells over beak do beak and he's like i want to do beak i don't want beak to be the first thing that people see when they flip over the sketchbook he he said oh i got this someone gave me this very same thing i did a really great rachel summers not doing that for you though yeah he showed us it was excalibur going out clothes rachel summers yep it was very good in that very uh very kyle stark's way so but erica's gonna hand it off to him 
when she's done with it because I guess they they were drawing in the same hotel room. Yeah, they're friends. Yeah, they're they, pals. Thank, thanks to Assassin. They're, they're co-workers? Yeah. On the Co-partners? Set. They co-creators even. Co-creators even of Assassination. Which I also bought and read today and it's really I haven't excellent. read it yet. I should have read it while I was waiting for you guys to come back from your fancy dinner. Yep. I, w- I wanted to read it and talk to them about it tomorrow because it's very good. <laughs> Better than Sex Castle? I don't know. It's hard to tell when there's only one issue, but it's it's got some really great stuff. And Erica does some really fun stuff with sound effects. Erica had that X Men print, but she's out of it. And it was the X Men in casual clothes. It was mostly the X Women, but then also Gambit. Yep. Also, after that costume panel, when Erica said that she likes to draw people in different clothes all the time. There, there's a, a page on the, the beginning of Assassination that is kind of like a dramatis persona and introduces you to all the characters, and then they're all dressed in different clothes throughout the comics, other than, other than that, that dramatis persona. That's so I had very to, good, Erica. I had to keep flipping back because I was like, wait, is it this guy? They're wearing different clothes? I guess I got to really uh, think about it. And then, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but by the end of the comic, a little bit of that becomes superfluous. But yeah, I've heard that's when you have the top 20 assassins it's hard to have 21 plus characters in a book <laughs> but it was a really good read and the two of them were just a lot of fun to talk to they're sitting next to each other yeah and right next to them is uh, chris schweitzer who i bought some santas from as one santas does. that have text written by benito sereno oh hey i didn't know that until i got i forgot that i bought it and i pulled it out today I was like, benito serena writing santas is uh, pretty on brand it's for pretty on brand so let me ask this chris would you do c2e2 again yeah especially if i get to hang out with you oh that's so sweet it's a lot of a day isn't it it is a long day it's a long day but it's been fun yeah it's been a lot of fun well good well chris thank you so much for being on this podcast and i think we're gonna hit the hit the square button that says stop now so we are here start of day three of c2e2 uh i am sitting in the hyatt bar with declan shelby declan how are you doing today i am i'm well it's uh, day three of my voice <laughs> it's rough for everyone yeah it's it's rough for everyone well i just don't stop talking so i don't do myself any favors <laughs> so so far con been going well for you yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's been really good, actually. Um, I've been to C2 a few times, and um, this one feels um, not necessarily busier, but like just um, uh, steadier. I'll take this actually. away. Thank you very much. Nice. Thank you. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, it's uh, fine. But um, uh, no, yeah, steady and good, and everyone's uh, super nice and like really, I don't know, it's been a really good, really good vibe this year, I think. That's good. Now, you've historically said that you're a, you're a big fan of Wolverine. And you got to write uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, the Old Man Logan Deadpool uh, miniseries, oh, yeah. which was a fun little series about not necessarily the Wolverine, mm-hmm. but a Wolverine. Yeah. What was it like approaching that kind of book, especially when you have to have that cognitive dissonance of this is 90% the character that I you know, know and love and grew sure. up with, but I've got to write him with these interesting quirks that he has now. Yeah, I mean, it was a challenge. I mean, it was definitely something the editors were said to me going in. It's like, it's not Wolverine, so keep in mind that it's it's not exactly the same character. And, right. And I've been reading Old Man Logan anyway, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a fan of Ed Brisson. Yep. Um, so I started trying to figure out what is it that differentiates him from Logan. And for me, it was, you know, a guilt and a ruthlessness. Right. Like, he's always been, has, you know, 
pretty dead girlfriends. He's pretty. He's got a, got a lot of got a guilt. He's had a rough time. But you know, he has way more guilt. Um, old man Logan has so much more guilt issues, and you know, doesn't mess around. It's like, oh, I'll kill him. You know. Um, so, but saying that, because of the nature of the story being a little more humorous as well, it's it's. Um, well, I, I, had, I had drawn um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly um, mm-hmm. that Jerry wrote. The, and, the Deadpool uh, arc. Yeah, and from that story, I really felt like what I liked about Deadpool was that he's he's basically just a little boy. Mm-hmm. And he wants everyone's approval. He wants Cap's approval. He wants Wolverine's approval. You know, and Wolverine just won't give it to him. Um, and then he dies, and he never gets it from him. So for me, you know, I wanted to be that he that Wade's annoyed and sour that he can't get it mm-hmm. um, and that, that he plays up like a, like a child would and old, old man Logan like because it was interesting they hadn't actually met in this in Marvel Universe mm-hmm. at all and, but those books are also a little like they're not necessarily tied to continuity so it was just the relationship between both would be s- similar um, right. if it was if it was regular Logan but I think it was more extreme because it was old man Logan if that makes sense okay I don't know if I'm rambling no you're you're perfectly fine now uh, as we're recording this this week uh, some news came out about a story that never really developed uh, this X-Men green pitch that you yeah. had featuring uh, both Banshees yeah I was um, uh, I don't know like uh, as a kid like I loved Banshee mm-hmm. and and he's been dead for ages. Or, well, at the time I was putting this stuff, he'd been dead for ages. Right. And nobody was using him. I'm like, and if, and if, like, if you look at my stuff over the years, like nearly every second year I've done a Banshee redesign, <laughs> you know, hoping that like somebody would pick it up. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it was just a pitch because I, I had done some writing. So I, right. I wanted, I just, it was an idea I had. I wanted to flesh it out and just hand it in the sea. And um, it pretty much got shut down, but I kind of had another go at it when. Um, all the kind of coloured books were happening. Right. Uh, which So it was really, the idea was Banshee, um, but it was more, it was more a book about Sean and Teresa, mm-hmm. like a family drama, not a kind of a solo superhero adventure book. Right. Um, and I wanted to build it up with a team as well, because I, I haven't written a team book. Um, it was just, what do I want to write next? What do I want to, as a writer, what would I like to kind of challenge myself with more? And I wanted to do a longer format, like, like not soap opera, but like character drama, because with, you know, Deadpool vs. Man Logan. There's look very little character development. There. I mean, it's an action book. Yeah, it's an action book, exactly. Like, um, um, so I was like, it would be cool if I had a book I could do that. I felt I had a kind of an original spin on it. Sent it in, and to be fair to Marvel, they really did like get like think it through and talked about it. And well, I mean, I think they laughed originally. Uh, I think that was the first reaction. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean. It, it, it didn't happen for multiple reasons, but mo- totally mm-hmm. fair, reasonable reasons, and and even partly my because myself, I, I just couldn't. What would have needed to make the book happen, I couldn't have done. Sure. So like, I couldn't ask for any fairer, fairer treatment, you know. Well, that's that's good. Now you had an interesting cast of characters with that. You had obviously uh, Sean and Teresa, mm-hmm. uh, but then you also did these designs for Chamber, Artie and Leech, and uh, and Marrow. Uh, were those characters that you had a particular particular affinity for before this pitch, or did they just yeah. kind of work in the story you were um, telling? It, well, uh, Chamber, because he's British, I felt would work. Um, would, would you finally give him British slang that actually is real British slang? Or well, I don't like Simon Spurrier. Like, give him proper proper. Uh, British that's fair, slang, but Sai only got to write it for like four pages. That's true. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is a, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would. I mean, I don't know. I've I. Um, <clears throat> 
sometimes a lighter touch is better with that. Like I did a, a graphic novel that I wrote in, in Irish. Savage, Savage Town. Town. Excuse me. Um, uh, no worries. But um, like I went very heavy on the accent with that. I would never do that on a Marvel book. I tried just... to read that while I was half drunk on a plane. <laughs> and tried I liked, being the word. I liked it, but I was like, I know I speak this language, but in a very real way, I don't speak this language. Yeah, it was. It was. That was always going to be a concern. But in most cases, that people seem to. Oh, it was. It was a. It was a real enjoyable read. Once I wrapped oh, my rock. See, that's it. it. That's and that's why it works better as a graphic novel. Because oh, yeah. if you read in issues, it would be too difficult to get into each sure. time. But as a graphic novel, it works. But yeah, for the same same reason, you know, I wouldn't be as heavy with it. Um, but I, I like. I love how Garth does accents. You know. Mm. It's a subtle touch, but you can tell it's somebody's accent. Right. When, you know, uh, yeah, the answer is, yeah, I definitely would have tried working with the accents there. But also, I wasn't, Banshee wasn't going to be like, to tie, to tie, to tie, to tie, you know. He um, wasn't going to have a very Claremont accent. No, 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 certainly not. But um, actually, what would have been interesting is um, in Ireland, we have a word called feck, mm-hmm. which is basically f- mm-hmm. but it's not a swear word. It's not considered, it's not considered rude to say the word feck. Like it would be to say, right. the, you know, the F word. So I, I, I remember thinking, I wonder if I could do that in a Marvel book. I don't, I don't think they would have let me, but I would have definitely tried, you know. And <laughs> if that's the case, he would be saying feck a lot. But um, that that tracks for a curmudgeonly old man like that. Yeah, like exactly. Banshee. Um, but yeah, but like, I just thought that the fam- like the family dynamics between like so Teresa was kidnapped as a kid by Black Tom. Right. So he didn't really get to raise her. So they connected, and then he died. And then she had a really hard time on X Factor. Oh, yeah. So for me, it was like, she's wounded, he's wounded. She's trying to, like, forge a relationship with him, and he won't let her. Right. And that, to me, is interesting. And I had, like, uh, plans for Black Tom, too, which I thought would be pretty cool. But that that was the thing that I'd need room to see that kind of story. But um, uh, it essentially was a family drama. But also, I wanted to get in, like... You know, sometimes the, the you know all the, the mutants are super beautiful uh, people who are cursed with you know amazing powers. Whereas you know what I like about Chamber is there's no hiding it. Right. Um, and I liked Marrow too because uh, I was reading X Men as a kid. Is when she she appeared. Right. And, um, I just I just think like the the visual. She's just such a cool visual character. Um, she's such a cool visual character that she would just be so cool to draw. Oh yeah. You know? um, also. You know, she'd basically be the. You always need a jerk on the team. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, you know when you're reading a book, you're like, oh, why do they have to be such a jerk? Why can't everybody get along? You're like, that's why it's entertaining yeah, to read. You, you need you, know? you need that drama to be built yeah. between the different you need, characters. You, yeah, you need that tension. Exactly. You know, so there's going to be there will be problems between Teresa and Sean, and there will be problems like with with Marrow and and um, and also still there hasn't been an Excalibur book for me. This would be kind of like the Excalibur book that isn't there right now. Do you know how many people, how many people that we've talked to have said, oh, what I really want to do is Excalibur? Oh, really? Yeah. I I can't tell you the last creator who didn't say, oh, really? <laughs> uh, oh we want to do Excalibur. It's it's wildly popular between the creative side. I know yeah. like Jordan loves it. Mm-hmm. Everyone that we've interviewed pretty much has pitched an Excalibur story one way or another. And it's wild to me that has yet to really develop. Maybe it's the name recognition. I don't know. But. Uh, yeah, I don't know because I know that they've. When did they last try it? It's a few uh, years it was, ago, I guess. They did. Mid two thousands, Claremont did New Excalibur with. Uh, actually, Tim Seeley uh, did some of the issues and a few other people. Okay, just remember, I don't remember that. But like, my plan was 
again, plan is in, you know, I had thoughts I had. Sure. Uh, things in my brain I had thought um, was, you know, was established that, like, that Captain Britain would come over and, like, him and Banshee would not get along. Uh, pub, a pub fight, I think, was, was in my head. Um, so I liked, there was enough dynamics on the British side of things, mm-hmm. and especially with things like Brexit happening. Um, Ireland's in a really weird place where, oh, yeah. uh, you know, on one side of us is all the stuff with Brexit, which is craziness, and on the other side is all this, like, craziness with Trump and whatnot. Like, Ireland seems like this weird, like, island of calm in between them both, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so there's so many characters on that side that you could use. I think I think sometimes, I guess people think that nobody cares about British characters or stories outside of America, but I, I think I think audiences have kind of grown and developed a little bit. Right. They want to see something different. Um, but, you know, it's a, it was a hard sell. Uh, I get it. And... Yeah, it's a shame. It would have been really, really, really fun to do. I think there's a lot of cool stuff I could have done. I, I, I would have loved to oh, see that. I would also say the other thing as well is I was wanted to just murder people, and <laughs> um, like, because that's like you know X Men comics do feel a little safe, even though they're so heavily populated. I wanted to like create characters that would just not randomly but like ruthlessly die because I wanted there to feel like there's a cost with stakes to something. Yeah, because like there's a good history in Ireland of like um um. um troubled areas where mm-hmm. you know you have community leaders coming in and you know setting up boxing clubs for youth that are maybe like um, uneducated and stuff like that and mm-hmm. that was kind of my thinking it's, it's not that Banshee would be Professor Xavier Banshee would be like dealing with at-risk youth okay. effectively um, and it wouldn't go well in a lot of cases I was even thinking maybe the Maddie from Dead Man Logan oh, okay, yeah. I did because I'd like to kind of do something with her again sometime and um, um you know, she could like there's there's just possibilities. That idea of a playhouse to do that kind of stuff would be great. But yeah, right. that's interesting. Now you just came off for Turn Up Wolverine, so what do you got? Uh, what do you got on your plate right now? Um, I am working on a Marvel miniseries okay. uh, that hasn't been announced, um, so I can't say. But uh, sure. I've been working on it on and off while doing some other Marvel stuff for the last year. But um, <clears throat> uh, I'm working with a writer. I'm doing. I'm getting to do title design covers. Awesome. Uh, so it's really, it's kind of like perfect little artist project, you know, um, and uh, yeah, it's really coming together now. Really excited by it, but uh, it's, it's the first time I've ever done something for Marvel where I literally, I absolutely have no idea. I don't know when it's coming out. I, I, I think they're they're waiting to know when the right time to put some, this thing mm-hmm. out is, and I appreciate that. So it's great to just concentrate on trying to do really nice work, and then it'll come out at the right time. It's really cool, actually. Well, that's awesome. Well, definitely. Thank you so much for your time here. Oh, no today. worries, man. And uh, yeah, hope you have a great con. Cheers. We are here on day three of C2E2 uh, 2019, and I am at the table of Kyle Starks, best known for things like Sex Castle, uh, Mars Attacks, Rock Candy Mountain, and Rick and Morty. You're probably best known for Rick and Morty. Probably, yes. That's probably Rick and Morty's very popular with people. It's pretty popular. now, you have just finished a commission for one of my buddies, uh, Chris Edelman, who's been walking around here today, of Cyclops. I sure did. Now, while we were doing this, you had mentioned that you dislike Cyclops for whatever reason. Oh, I now have would, reasons. I would love you to expand on that. All right, here's my here's my. Th- there's so many. I don't so know how much time reasons. we have. Uh, one, he was a he was he was like a real uh, can I can I pull this off or not sort of crap leader for early X Men. That's this number one. Uh, number two. He tried to be a big boy and got his butt whipped by Storm when she didn't have any powers and then cried so bad about it. He was a uh, suspect to be a uh, victim to a fake wife. 
Yep, that's garbage. Yep. That's a garbage guy. Uh, but I, I think I think what you want me to say is my theory about why uh, Scott Summer is, is so popular with very powerful psychics. I mean, like, like I thought, like, he's Professor Xavier's favorite boy, right? He is Professor Xavier's favorite boy. Daddy Charles is, you know, he respects him. Loves Slim, which is a real D-bag, Ivy League, like, mommy, mommy drives me to school sort of thing, right? Well, his mommy blew up in an airplane, but that's fine. All right, well, fair enough. <laughs> that's right. Was mommy there, too? Daddy wasn't there. Mommy was there. That's right. Daddy Daddy became a space All pirate. Right. So the reason why I think Emma and Jean, the most powerful mind readers on the planet, are so happily romantic with Scott is because he's 100% dead behind the eyes. Yes. There's no mental noise to bother. It's finally a quiet time for these awesome mind readers because he's the worst. I think maybe they fixed him, though, finally. He's not quite the weak. Nah, he gets mad. He started a revolution yeah, he once. Yeah, mad. And I'm glad someone Punch did Punch Captain America. He is the worst for so many years. And everyone seemed, like, okay with it. I think I think if I was, like, if I was Nightcrawler and Wolverine, the first time Cyclops comes back, and he's like, all right, guys, here I am. They had to be like, ugh, this, this guy, this management's crap. <laughs> well, that's, that's very good. Now, Kyle, what are you working on right now? What do you got? Uh, what do you got that you are hawking at this table? Yeah, we uh, the first issue of Assassination from Skybound uh, that I wrote and Eric Anderson of Squirrel Girl, uh, brilliant cartoonist Eric Anderson drew, and uh, we're pimping that real hard right now because we're real proud of it. It's real good. It's about the world's former greatest hitman turned became a crime boss. Someone tried to kill him. His bodyguard sucks, so he hires the twenty best killers in the world to be his bodyguards. It's a book I read this morning and I was cackling in the middle of our loft. Thank it you, was man. A, I appreciate that. It was a real fun time. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a great show. Hey, and thanks for having me on. Cyclops really sucks. I He's strongly disagree. I hate him. I disagree so hard, All but right, I he's appreciate terrible. it. He's terrible, though. We are here on the floor of C2E2 Artist Alley, day three, a marathon session, and I am sitting right next to Russell Dowderman. Russell, how are you doing this weekend? I'm doing well. It's a uh, a little overwhelming with all the people, and, but I've really enjoyed it so far. That is great. Now, I'm noticing what I had purchased from this table yesterday, your beautiful X-Men print, the you know, 90s nostalgia that's been kind of everywhere around the internet, is gone. Has that been a big, big seller for you? Yeah, that sold out yesterday. Um, I actually did that print years ago, maybe five or six years mm -hmm. ago, and that's what uh, some editors at DC and at Marvel saw, and that's mm -hmm. what got me hired at the big two. I'd, I'd only been drawing, you know, like independent books until then. Right. That got me noticed. And your first your first Marvel work, at least that I'm aware of, was a six-issue run on Cyclops with uh, Greg Rucka? It was a three-issue run. They, Did you only do the first three? Yeah, they pulled me off and um, put me on Thor right after the third issue. Yeah, okay. The thing is, it was very good. Oh. <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big Cyclops fan, and I love that space camping adventure and all that stuff. It was great, and I am not shocked that they pulled you onto something oh. real quick from there. Well, thank you. That's so, very nice. Obviously, it's you being an X-Men fan. What was it like with your first big book to be X-Men? Oh, right was, there with the Star Jammers and all this. That was incredible. I mean, that was the, a perfect place to start. And, mm -hmm. you know, my first, uh, the first page of the first issue was the um, Cyclops. And it was with all these flashbacks and things that Reflecting the before. jumping out of yeah. uh, the plane on his visor and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it was written as separate panels. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, what's something I could do that's really visually striking? And I decided to put it in the shadows of the visor. And That's a you know, pretty damn big, like, first impression right there. Well, I wanted something, you know, 
big to start off with, and it was such a treat to like draw the original X Men and that, and it was it was really cool. That's absolutely. Now I was reading yesterday. You're you're an Ohio boy. You're from Cleveland. Yeah, I'm from Cleveland. All right. You uh you still around that area? Or? No, I, I moved um out to Los Angeles. Lucky so, you. A time ago, but I'm um, still I'm still stuck in uh, Dayton area. Okay. Well, I have to shout out um Mr. Cards and Comics in uh, Cleveland. So that was my store. I went every Wednesday and you know picked up all my X Men books and yeah, that was my shop. That's that's awesome. Now you've gotten to touch on a few X Men things in your run on the Mighty Thor with uh, especially the Asgard Shi'ar War. Right. Uh, with Jason Aaron, your writer, I know that Quentin is his baby. Was it intimidating getting into that, doing a big Phoenix story with all this crazy cosmic art on top of what you had already been building with with Thor? Oh, I loved it. I mean, that was pretty far along in our run. Mm-hmm. Like, so we'd done a lot of Asgard stuff. We'd done a lot of Earth stuff. Like, we'd done a lot of different genres. And by the time we got to that, it was really fun to explore and, like, butt up against all the cosmic stuff and see how Thor would mesh and you know like getting to draw the phoenix and I got to design some Shi'ar gods oh yeah that, the, they, those were great uh, thank you um, that was really fun for me to do and Quentin Quire was a huge um, treat for me to draw I'm a big new X-Men fan so oh yeah that was a, a real treat put the little swag neato pin on him yeah exactly <laughs> and I gave him the uh, phoenix t-shirt eventually and, yeah it was really fun that's great now the big thing that's going on at Marvel right now, you are dead in the center of War of the Realms. Yeah. What are you most excited about fan seeing with this? You know, it's really um, kind of similar to that uh, Asgard Shi'ar stuff. It's, you know, taking all this Thor stuff that I've been trying for the past, you know, however many years and um, incorporating it into the larger Marvel universe. So you have characters like Daredevil and Punisher and Black Panther and Captain Marvel who haven't really interacted, at least in our Thor run, all coming up against frost giants and elves and fire demons and all these sorts of crazy fantasy Asgard things. And the real mashup of those is is the most exciting bit. That's awesome. That's awesome. And last question for you, Russell. Who are we going to have to kill to get you onto an X-Men book finally? (laughs) Because I know fans have been asking for a while, and while your Thor stuff has been amazing... I know that's something people people are going to want at some point. Well, I mean, it's something I want too. So, I mean, hopefully it'll happen. I'll, I'll be with Marvel for a while and, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Russell. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Yeah, Have a great time. Thank you so con. much. I appreciate it. All right. So, I am in my vehicle about to leave uh, the underpass of the L in Chicago and get back from C2E2. It was a wild, wild weekend. Uh, A lot of fun, very long, uh, but it came with some real good friends and getting to hang out and see some people. Uh, So it was a blast. I don't actually think C2E2 was a mistake, but I also have to drive for five hours now and wake up before work in the morning. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Now I've got a sore throat and a long drive ahead of me, and I haven't eaten since I had two silver dollar pancakes, maybe three. Uh, I do regret that we didn't get Christy uh, to be able to talk on here. She was great all weekend. She did an amazing Spider-Woman cosplay, and we kept planning on adding her in, uh, but it was late and everyone was tired, and then life got in the way. Uh, So I do want to do a special shout out to Christy, uh, Chris, and Charlie uh, for being on this show. You can find them on the internet uh, at their Twitters. 
Uh, I'll put links to everyone on this episode. Uh, and it's going to be wild. Hey, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for coming to C2E2 with me, I guess. It was a couple weeks ago, but you're good now. Bye, guys. Wait. I'm No, I'll say I hope you survive the experience after Adam and I talk. So this is Zach. I'm back from C2E2, and I am sitting in the studio uh, with <laughs> with my friend Adam. Adam, you weren't at C2E2. What's up? Hey, sorry. Yeah, I live like, what, 10 hours away, so I did not get to join you guys, and uh, maybe next time. I lived like five hours away, and I drove there, man. It was <laughs> long. Yeah, um, I I don't know, but maybe next time? I It looked like you guys had a really fun time, so I'm sorry I missed it. We did. We did. Luckily, I chronicled all this in this con yes. diary. Yes. Um, so what uh, are, you wanted to so talk to me about thing. something specific, right, Zach? Yeah, so I was at the Marvel Next Big Thing panel uh, where they announced that Jonathan Hickman will be writing two six-issue miniseries for the X-Men uh, called House of X and Powers of Ten. Yes. Bill the Lobster is involved from Fallen <laughs> Angels. <laughs> Which is really the takeaway for me, folks. Uh, you know, let me be a little bit bitter that I did it in Ambition Jubes first, but at the same time, I love that Bill is uh, is getting a chance to shine. It's beautiful. Bill the Lobster, who has had two different titles that he's ever appeared in, and one was as a cameo. <laughs> yeah, and here he is right up front uh, on this beautiful Mark Brooks poster that uh, that you got a print, right? Did, did, I, did I hear that correctly? I, I had a print. I yes. had a print. And actually, oh. actually I do want to address this. I had a print. Uh, I no longer have a print because uh, cons get busy and the print was sticking out of my bag. And uh, yeah, someone else has that print. However, I did want to give special thanks. I reached out to uh, Ryan uh, Panagos at H&M at Marvel uh, mm -hmm. just because he was he handles all the marketing stuff. And I said, hey, man, I uh, know this is a super busy weekend for you. This is what happened to me. I get it. If you guys can't do anything because these are these were limited run, they only printed 200 of them, uh, you know, all this stuff. Any any shot at it? And his answer was, yes, let me uh reach out to me in the morning we'll get it sorted out uh i did reach out to him again and unfortunately just the, his schedule for the day and my schedule didn't work out i had to leave before i could get something but mm -hmm. uh i do want to definitely say marvel as a company went out of their way for to what to them is a legitimate stranger who could have been <laughs> lying about everything right uh, but that was, that that was, was a really it, it was great. Uh, so I wanted to point that out. Yeah. Uh, but then also, yeah, the panel. So uh, Jonathan Hickman's got two six-issue miniseries uh, starting in July. Uh, mm -hmm. House of X will be drawn by uh, Pepe Larraz, who I talked to at the con, and he is absolutely, absolutely thrilled about doing this book. Uh, he got an X tattoo, him and all of his brothers did. Uh, when he got his first X-Men gig. So like they're died it. in the wool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and for uh, what is it? Powers of 10, which is a dumb title, Jonathan. Uh, for Powers of 10, we've got uh, favorite of the show. RB Silva is mm -hmm. going to be doing some of the work there. So yeah. that's going to be exciting. Uh, I know Jonathan Hickman at the uh, at the uh, panel did say that 
it, this is something that pretty much only Jonathan Hickman can say. Uh, he didn't care about any Marvel things, <laughs> except for X-Men when he was growing up. He didn't care about any Marvel things when he was writing them, except for X-Men. Uh, so now he's writing X-Men and he's like, guys... This is me caring about something, which is wild, given like the huge runs that he's done at Marvel in the past to say that, like, <laughs> eh, I just did those for like paychecks or, you know, I just did it to, for whatever, which I don't really believe that, you know, you could tell that there's there was a lot of love, especially in his Fantastic Four run. Um, but uh, all right. Well, what was your what was the tone in the room in this with this announcement? I, I'm curious to know what people what that were was excited. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I forget. I was talking to someone. Uh, I think it was, I think it was, uh, I think it was Declan uh, mm-hmm. when Declan Shalvey, uh, when we were having brunch, which was a wild thing that I did not plan on happening this weekend. Uh, <laughs> but I mentioned to him, I said, look, I didn't know how to feel about this, but, Shoot, man, I did not realize how many people were this on the Hickman train. Like, I don't know how many writers in comics, period, would get that kind of reception. It was absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like, it was a John Byrne going over to DC in the 80s kind of feel like. It felt like that big of a deal. Yeah, I I think, you know, the the most recent analog might be Bendis going to DC you know, to write Superman. Mm-hmm. But it, without, it, without the fact that half of Marvel fans kind of hated Bendis by the end. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think a lot of people have just been wondering when Hickman is going to get back to doing something big in Marvel. And, you know, especially after Secret Wars, I think a lot of people assumed that Hickman was going to jump to X-Men. Um, and the fact that he didn't um, has kind of set up this expectation that it would happen eventually. And here it is. So, you know, what, what would, all right, we know what the room was like, but uh, what was your first reaction to hearing this news leading up to it? I think a lot of people had, you know, we had talked online about how we pretty much knew this announcement was coming, but once it was made official, um, what, what were your thoughts? So first, first reaction, I love the art team. Uh, these are, these were not uh, arranged marriages. These were handpicked artists. For this book hickman has a lot of control on that and mm-hmm. i love that team uh pepe laraz did he was the easily the uh standout of extermination uh he's just been fantastic for a while now and rb silva is really he was really pushing himself in x-men or uncanny x-men and i hope that he pushes himself even further uh on this powers of 10 book so i'm yeah. excited from that standpoint I want to second that like Pepe Larraz, um, I, he kind of came into my radar when he did his uncanny Avengers run, um, but mm-hmm. just keeps getting better. And Arby Silva, who, you know, I think we we've talked a little bit about how we like the evolution of his art is, is hitting a stride. So I'm excited to see both of them working on these books. Uh, the downside for me is not necessarily Hickman because I think Hickman as a, creator has written some stuff i really like he's written some mm-hmm. very good stuff he'll probably be great <laughs> i like the current team that we have now though and that's a little disheartening yeah. to me yeah i think i think that is the core here um you know i think it's important that it, i i think we're both on the same page here i I would love to read a John Hickman X-Men story, especially if it's paired with outstanding artwork. I think that 
what we had talked about earlier this afternoon is the idea that what are we willing to exchange for a John Hickman story? Because we've both been very on the record on this show of being a huge fan of the diverse talent that's working on the books right now. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm just concerned as to, because we don't really have the full picture of the line yet where that talent is going to go. Right. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard rumors and plenty of things like that, that I don't want to throw on record just because, you know, people, people talk, there's only, there's rumors of everything. Oh yeah. Uh, of course. But what I, uh, what I can say is I think what's encouraging and what a good standpoint to take of this, this is something you and I discussed earlier today is that we're not really giving up anything uh, for this run in so much as we know that this run was planned about a year ago. Like that's when, Mm -hmm. that's when Jonathan Hickman started working on it. Uh, Which by the way, guys tells us that it's not just 12 total issues. Uh, You don't put, you don't put a whole work years work in that for just 12 total issues. Just saying, Uh, (laughs) but we, uh, we know that that started then. And we know about the lead time, just talking with people that, it took to get some of the books that kind of came out of the, let's call it the start of the Jordan white era of editing mm-hmm. and X-Men. So I, I choose, and I think a more charitable reading of the situation is to say, Hey, they knew they had about this much runway on the color era book, the blues, the gold extermination, hitting all that stuff. They knew where that was going to end. They also knew when the Hickman stuff roughly was going to begin. And they had nine months and said, Hey guys, We've got nine months to fill. It's not going to be long-term stuff, but let's let's see what we can do. Let's do something big. Let's do something new. Let's do something we haven't seen before. Let's be risky here. We've got mm-hmm. a chance to play with some, like we've we've talked about it for Age of X Man. Uh, the creators involved are good, but they aren't established in comics for the most part. You got Ed Brisson, who's the most established guy in uh, Age of X Man, and then. I guess Tim Seeley's been around for a good amount of time at this point as both a writer and an artist, uh, but they, they aren't big names by any means. Well, like I, Leah and Vita and Sean and, and Zach and Lonnie are great. I love them. Mm-hmm. I love their work. In fact, I just read an incredible uh, OGN uh, by Zach Thompson called Replacer, which. Oh, I can't guys, wait, to, wait go, to read that. Go put it on your put it on your uh, freaking pull list right now. That book wrecked me. Uh, I'm still like a little shook from it. Yeah, so go I'm put that on your pull list right now, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's can good. can it's I jump good. in on this? Because uh, I, I, you're, you're describing a scenario that um, is part of my reservations here about this whole mm-hmm. situation, which is that um, I, I do I take at least a little bit of umbrage in the idea that this in-between era of disassembled and age of X-Men was like almost a stop gag maneuver to like kill time Mm -hmm. before the big name came in for the sales thing. And I I take issue with it for a couple Mm -hmm. of reasons. Um, The first is that, we have a creative team here that is doing things that are incredibly original. And I would hate for that to have just been filler. You know, I, I hope that people go back to this era and look and see that 
the the creative teams and what it is that they're putting down in these books is something that is really really new and fresh um and you know i was hoping i would would also say to that point adam um Mm -hmm. for our listeners who have heard the other interviews we've done on this show right now i don't think that these stories that we're being told right now don't count i think that they are call it even more setup, but they are knowing that, okay, we have this, we have this thing coming and we need to put things in place for that. Sure. Yeah. And get to that point. um, I think the other thing that is an issue for me, aside from the switch in creative teams, um, just, Mm -hmm. you know, despite that we're switching, you know, from, you know, a certain level of, uh, for a certain level of prestige, shall we say, is that sure. Age of X-Men, I think you've noted this on your website, did not get the promotional push that I am sure we are seeing starting as of last Thursday for for this Hitman uh, launch. Oh, absolutely not. And we've seen the sales on Age of X-Men. They have not been what I think are appropriate for the quality of the event and it, it does bum me out super hard that, you know, we have to rely on a certain level of prestige to like, you know, there's a Paste Magazine article that's been floating around saying like Hickman is going to save the X-Men from, from itself. And I hated that headline. I know it's supposed to be clickbait, but at the same time, mm-hmm. the, the X-Men doesn't need to be saved. Like it's already been saved to a certain extent. So all I'm hoping for is that we get both. Like, you know, I I'm hoping that we can get the big prestige Hickman on book with the prestige artists. Um, but at the same time that, you know, the line continues to work with this up and coming group who is doing amazing, amazing new fresh stuff um, that, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm, I feel like we're a little spoiled right now and I, I want to keep that. Oh yeah, we're absolutely, I'd say if, if this was a quote unquote gap filler few months, mm-hmm. uh, we've been spoiled pretty good. And this pretty much turned out to be the best gap filler they could, uh, they could expect because I've, I've been absolutely blown away with a lot of the creative teams. This, uh, we wouldn't still be excited about age of X-Men after seeing all this stuff. If, we didn't love it. I read an issue today uh, that was one like extremists. Extremist number two is up there with like my favorite comics of the year. Mm-hmm. It's it's an amazing, amazing story. And Leah uh, did script of her career already. Like it's fantastic. I cannot say enough good things about it. So I yeah. don't want to lose all of that. Mm-hmm. However, in a vacuum without all this other stuff. I'm pretty excited about seeing what Hickman does with the X-Men just to see it. Cause we're going to be talking about it for a while. Yeah. And I, I do agree that I would be absolutely shocked if we were really just talking about 12 issues, unless these things are like, you know, supersized in nature. But, um, you know, I have a feeling when you put Hickman on a book, you're expecting, a couple years out of him. Um, I think the, the FF run lasted for at least three years. I think new, uh, Avengers, new Avengers through secret wars was another three. Um, you know, you don't put this guy on a book with his like extensive flow charts without expecting a long run. He has 37. Um, 
Yeah. I just, you know, part of me is still going to be wondering how many times the X-Men line needs to be quote unquote hard rebooted, um, you know, within three years to, you know, continue to gain traction in the market. Like I, I just, it's been at least three, I think this would be four since secret wars. Um, see my son was, my son was born when secret wars eight came out. Yeah. I remember that well, cause I read the issue in the hospital room, yeah. uh, secret wars nine, excuse me. Uh, so if you're counting the, the extermination stuff that was supposed to come out of Secret Wars and then didn't because it was wildly off schedule. That one, mm-hmm. the Colors Error two, and then you know the Uncanny relaunch three. So yeah, this would be the fourth since then. Yeah, I, I just you know, so. but I, I do think that it's worth going back to the to our first point, which is I'm excited to read it. Um, I, I just think it's a little bittersweet given the timing, you know. Uh, and that's, that's, that's probably I my takeaway. I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you for uh, jumping in with some opinions on here. Hey, We're no going to have a wild rest of the year. <laughs> yes. uh, that, that wraps up this oversized C2E2 edition of Battle of the Atom. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Xavier Files. You can find Adam at Arthur Stacy. You can find Chris at Strictly Worse. And you can find Charlie at Genetic Ghost. Uh, you can also find Christy at uh, Christy Edelman. <laughs> uh, she, again, Christy, I'm really sorry we didn't get you actually recording, uh, except for the one time when you said that Chris made coffee. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> And everyone else, all the all the other amazing creators, thank you guys so much. Thank you to the CTUE2 team for letting uh, me come down there and doing some fun stuff. Uh, next week, we are talking about some miniseries from the 90s. Uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, but until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. <laughs>